That was a song by my request. I think it's awesome, and I hope we get to sing it uh, just more often. And you guys did a wonderful job with that new song. All of you guys did too. So the passage to us comes to, uh, for us comes today from the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. Matthew 7, 24, 29. It's page 966 in your pew Bible in front of you. Or, no, underneath you. And it's also there on the top of your sermon outline. Matthew 7, 24 through 29. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, and not as their scribes. May God bless this reading of his word. Let us pray. Father, we see your great love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Holy Spirit, we know Jesus has died for us on the cross because you have come into our hearts, regenerated them, and given them that sight that sees. Our Savior, our Redeemer, and Friend. So Spirit, we ask that you work in us now through this passage before us, so that we might see our friend, our Savior, our Lord Jesus, and give glory to the Father because of him. And Lord, you know how weak an instrument I am right now. Fill me with your spirit. Give me strength to preach this message that all your people might praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The warm weather is finally here. And I am so happy about that because that means that summer is coming. That means that beach days are coming. And my family, we are beach people. We do some occasional snow sports here or there, but there's just no uh, denying. We are summer people. We are beach people, and we love going to the beach. In fact, I've learned that the beach is one of those things where the more the merrier. So I have such fond memories going to uh, the beach with church friends and us having just more extended fellowship time. So I hope that we get to do that together this summer. Um, and as I think about the beach, I look forward to my daughter and my son doing what all of us have done and building sandcastles. So they will build these structures, not too tall because they're not that good, and uh, just then because it's sand, it's more sand than their skill level. Um, but they will build, and they'll be so proud, and they'll say, Mommy, Daddy, do you see this? Isn't it great? Until the tide starts coming in. And then building operations change over from building to protection. And the moat gets dug, and the wall, and anything to channel water away. But the inexorable tide cannot be defeated. That battle is ever lost. Until the end of our day when all hint that anything had been done, any labor had been performed, is all washed away. 
And so we have Jesus ending his great sermon on the mount, the best, greatest sermon ever told, with these words of caution. So following up the three that Pastor John gave last week, where professing faith without possessing faith is fatal. And Jesus uses one last accessible illustration using building and architecture to make these three points. Are you a hearer and not a doer? Do you have joy in your obedience? And Jesus is your shelter from the storm. First point, are you a hearer and not a doer? Let's consider what Jesus says in verse 24 again, where Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Is that right? Yeah, some of you are nodding. Some of you are shaking your head. So the ones who are nodding, you weren't paying attention. I left something out. I only said anyone who hears these words of, of mine, I left out and does them. And lots of people come to church and hear the words of Jesus. Lots of kids come to youth group and Sunday school and hear the words of Jesus. Families have kids sit through family devotions and hear the words of Jesus. But the goal is not just for us and our kids to hear the words of Jesus, but to put them into practice as Jesus desires. Didn't he earlier on talk about fasting and say, don't fast like the hypocrites who do it on street corners and let everyone know that they're fasting and they're hungry. But do it so that no one has a clue. And do it so that you pray, because that's the point of fasting, to turn in a more intense way to God in prayer. And so these words, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Did you see who it was addressed to? It was not addressed to people who heard him and people who didn't hear him, like people who think we just uh, say have not heard the gospel yet. They're the people who are building their house on the, on the sand. No, Jesus is saying, everyone who's heard this sermon that he has just preached on this mount, every one of you who hear this word being preached right now is addressed to you. And you can be such a person who builds not on the rock, but on the sand. You know, the two are building the exact same structures. And they might be indistinguishable. So because it reveals nothing of what it's built upon. And there's this drive in us to build. But let's think about that drive for a second. We are all builders. We're all striving to make something. To establish some, just amass some fortune, some legacy, some name for ourselves. We're all builders, but we're created with that drive. What did God, God tell mankind to do in the Garden of Eden? He said, you are made in my image. I just built this universe. I am a builder. And you, made in my image, I call you, I send you out to subdue creation, to ex exercise dominion over it, to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth. 
So he was saying, go, because you are made in my image, because I've created you to do so, go and build. Build places, build cities, build inventions, build cultures. And the Garden of Eden itself was supposed to be the temple palace of God that Adam and Eve were created to build out of love and gratitude to their creator God. And that would have been great. That, that sounds awesome, right? But we know they sinned and dragged us all into the mess with them. Why did they sin? What did they want? They wanted to build something, to have something of God apart from God. They wanted to have something and build something of God apart from God. That's all our sin ever is. To want something apart from His and His loving, holy ways. And that sinful impulse continued because our imageness of God. We didn't stop being God's image when Adam and Eve sinned, but it was just tortured and perverted. We're still builders. We see that with the builders of the Tower of Babel. Remember that fiasco? What were they doing? They were building and they wanted to build up this tall, this tower, this tall, tall tower. But why? They said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Okay, so they wanted to build something of God, apart from God, same impulse. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. What are they talking about there? They're talking about Noah and the flood. They remember, this is the generation, this is the people that grew up after Noah and his family were saved in the ark when everyone else was judged and put to death for their sin. And these people didn't like that. Man, it's like God's got a kill switch on us. Well, so let's do something about that. Let's build. And so they built. It wasn't a tower like a skyscraper. It was a ziggurat. That's one of those pyramids with steps. That's supposed to be a ladder to heaven. They wanted to be, again, like God, apart from God. And we know how well that ended, don't we? The project put to shambles and their tongues all confused. And this is one of the greatest cautionary tales ever that Jesus is giving us. Cautionary tales are stories we tell people, particularly children, but really everyone, to keep them from making the same tragic mistake as someone else. Doctors do this with uh, M&M conferences, where they, morbidity and mortality conferences. Oh, thank you, thank you. So, and, the, or uh, a writer, so of the Darwin Awards, who's actually a woman, not a man. I kind of figured it would be a guy with a sixth sense of humor, but it's a, wo a woman, who collects these stories of people who have just fantastically killed themselves in just the biggest stupidity possible. All right, like strapping an engine, a rocket engine to your car to see if you can break some land speed record. Actually, that one actually didn't happen, but there are plenty that did. And so cautionary tales, trying to say, with wisdom, let's avoid the things that will kill us. And here's the warning that Jesus is giving us. We are all builders. But it is what we build upon that matters. 
We are all builders, but it is what we build upon that matters. And he is saying that the hearers of the word must be doers of the word. If not, what happens? Pastor John read it earlier from James chapter 1, verse 22. Someone who is a hearer of the word and not a doer deceives themselves. They lie to themselves. And James uses the picture of looking carefully, intently at the mirror like we do every morning. And then immediately turning around and forgetting what you look like. Not that you have a hair out of place, but what color you are. What color your eyes are. Whether you have a nose or a mouth. Someone who hears the words of Jesus but doesn't put them into practice is lying to themselves. And cannot possibly know who they are, what they were meant for, what this world is about. For them, up is down, left is right, wrong, uh, wrong is right. You can't know what to do or how the world operates, just as Adam and just as the builders of Babel couldn't get it right. And listen to these painful words from this song by Casting Crowns, depicting how we're trying to live our lives. Make it count, leave a mark, build a name for yourself, dream your dreams, chase your heart above all else. Make a name the world remembers. I'm pretty sure I've seen motivational videos that go like this. Just be true to yourself. I guess Shakespeare would just beat all these guys. To thine own self be true. What you build for yourself can look good. I said it can look identical to those who are hearing and doing God's word. We know so many people who profess Jesus without possessing Jesus. Who say that they're Christians without longing for and loving Jesus and what he has called us to do. And their lives are built on sinking sand. This song continues. But all an empty world can sell is empty dreams. I got lost in the light when it was up to me to make a name the world remembers. It all falls apart. It all goes down. And that's the tragedy of building your life on anything but the word of God in Christ. Which is all of what he's just spoken. It isn't just what Jesus is saying right here or right now. Build your house on the rock. Oh, just to hear these words and build your house on the rock. It's all the words he's just said. And he has intensified the entire Old Testament in this Sermon on the Mount. He said, who are God's people in the Beatitudes? They are blessed. The humble are blessed. The meek are blessed. The mourning are blessed. And he said, how we're really supposed to live. We're supposed to live as salt So in this world. We're supposed to live as light in this world. We're supposed to. So just not even have an adulterous thought. We're not even supposed to have an angry thought against, a murderous thought against someone else. That even our thoughts are sins against God. It's all of these words that Jesus is calling us to hear and to do. You know, the people who profess Jesus without ever picking up his word can't possibly know how he wants us to live. They're working off their idea of Jesus and not who he is or what he has said. Or maybe what I've just said strikes you in your heart. Has it been a while since you have turned to this word and asked, Lord, show me your perfect, holy, loving will 
and help me to live like Jesus. We are called to build. And even we who are building on the rock of Jesus Christ, even we can get it wrong. We'll never lose the rock, but the rest of what we're building might be endangered. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3.10, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, so far sounds good, wood, hay, straw, remember three little pigs? Each one's work will become manifest for the day, the capital D, day of the Lord, when he, Jesus Christ comes again, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And so there's this warning here, even for those believers of Jesus Christ who are doing, unless we are doing it in conformity with this word that he gave out of his love for us, we will get it wrong. But Jesus again talks about the importance of the foundation. Can you think of ways in which you have heard the words of Jesus without putting them into practice? That's something that we need to confess and repent every morning. But thank God that Jesus does not leave us here in this place. Because, point two, do you have joy in your obedience? Verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. You know, Pastor John loves saying that when people join the church... They say, do you, he, they answer the question, do you rest in Christ alone? Yes. But then the second question right after that is, do you have Jesus as your Lord? And he makes the point again and again to us that Jesus is making here. You cannot have Jesus only as Savior and not as your Lord. And having a Lord means that you listen to what he says and you obey. But it's not like having a terrible tyrant for a king. It's not like, have, like having a terrible boss. Jesus says what it's like. John 15, 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He's talking about abiding. Now think about this. Does the Father delight? Does God the Father delight in His Son, Jesus Christ? And that's a big yes, He does. And does Jesus Christ, did Jesus Christ abide in His Father's commandments and obey every last thing that His Father commanded? Yes, He did. And therein is this wonderful love relationship as the Son abides in the Father and His commandments and has joy there. Does Jesus Christ have a lot of joy? more than anyone else in the universe. But then, that first verse, he includes us. He calls us to abide in his, in his love. We do that by keeping his commandments. We love him, and so we obey him. And then when we do that, he abides with us as the Father abides with him and vice versa. And he is saying that his joy that he has in the Father 
is the joy that he gives to us. And so because we have this great joy and love, we do, we act. You know, John Calvin put it this way, justification, salvation is by faith alone, but the faith that justifies is never alone. Justification is by faith alone, but justifying faith is never alone. What does that mean? That means that you who are saved, you are transformed, you are changed to become saved in Jesus Christ, to become like Jesus Christ. And as Jesus obeyed his Father, so we, we will more and more grow and obey his Son. John Stott really makes it just so clear this way. This is not, of course, to teach that the way of salvation or the way to enter the kingdom of heaven is by good works of obedience. For the whole New Testament offers salvation only by the sheer grace of God through faith. What Jesus is stressing, however, is that those who truly hear the gospel and profess faith will always obey him, expressing their faith in their works. And I might add, expressing their faith and love in their works. Faith and love. You know, love changes things. So if if your children love a subject, they will gravitate naturally toward that subject, right? And then, as they love it and find that they want to learn more and more about it, they will do the hard labor, like if they love building things and engineering, they will learn the hard math in order to learn how it is to continue to do that which they love. And Mark Twain or or someone said, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. That'd be wonderful, isn't it? If we were able to teach ourselves and our children to find what they're really interested in and love and teach them to apply themselves to that so that that is what they will be doing and serving humanity with and glorifying God with. When we love something, we arrange our lives around that thing. Or when we love a person, we make fools of ourselves to win and capture and sustain their love. You know, John Piper has this cute little uh, illustration in Desiring God. A husband asks his wife, must I kiss you? And the wife replies, you must, but not that kind of must. You must, but not that kind of must. See, there's a command in our love, but not one that comes from obligation. Yes, you are obligated to love your wife, your husband, your children, your friends, your parents, but that's a shallow foundation for that affection and passion. You must because of that love. And in order for you to be happy, you must express and do that which makes the other happy. You have made that other person's joy your joy. And this is the joy of Christian obedience to God. We see that God has made our joy His joy. We see that our Savior made our joy His joy and went to the cross for it. And now He calls us to make His joy our joy because we see what He has done for us out of that his great love. And when you do that, it keeps you from taking your life with God for granted. Right, that's the the trouble we get into, right? When we love someone, we just kinda go into like cruise control and then we take them for granted. But this, 
Making their joy our joy is what keeps that love fresh. I'll give you a really silly example from this week. So I love the store REI, Recreational Equipment Incorporated. It sells hiking gear. I don't even go hiking, but I love hiking gear. All right? So I love just wearing it, buying it, like holding it, touching it. It's nice. So, and I, had, I got my dividend. I get it. When you shop there, they give you money back the next year to make you shop more. And I got my dividend. It's been a, burning a hole in my pocket for weeks. And I've been wondering, what am I going to do? I've been going over the website, probably doing more than I sh- time I, on that than I should have been. And there, I'm sure there's parenting or other stuff that I should have sh- been doing. But looking and seeing, what can I get with that dividend? And then Kim, this week, says in the morning, you know, by the time that I get the kids out the door, my coffee's cold. I never get to drink my coffee when it's hot and fresh. And then my mind shifts gears, and I think, wait a second. I can do something about that. And so I went and got, took my dividend, and I cashed it in and bought this thing, this, uh, just by Yeti, this coffee cup. I like it holds things hot for like a day, all right? And so it's this perfect size. It'll hold the entire Keurig thing, Keurig, Keurig large setting, 10 ounces. And so I, I got that. I used my dividend on that, and I brought it and gave it to her. And I was happy. I didn't get to spend it on myself, but I was happy. And yes, it's such a stupid little thing. But I got joy out of bringing my wife joy. And how much more, when we come to the Word every morning in personal worship and prayer, when we see how much our God loved us in Jesus Christ, Do we find our fuel to obey Him and in that way show our love? Because we want Him to have joy as we obey. We want His joy because we see how He has filled us with His joy. So yes, we must, but not that kind of must. And so, we come to, actually, the rest of that Casting Crown song really just helps teach us. All the kingdoms built, all the trophies won, will crumble into dust when it's said and done. Because all that really mattered. Did I live the truth to the ones I love? Was my life the proof that there is only one whose name will last forever? And I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't care if people remember me, only Jesus. I've only got one life to live. I'll let every second point to him. Only Jesus. You should listen to the song if you haven't heard it before. It's great. We, the reason for our joy is because we see the foundation that we build our lives upon. It is a foundation whose cornerstone, the most important stone of the foundation is Jesus Christ. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 says. We're no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That's all of us. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets who have the word. They taught Christ's word. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for the God 
for God by the Spirit. You know, Frank Lloyd Wright, the most famous American architect, said that every building shows the priority of the builder. Every building made shows what the builder was driven by. And Jesus Christ is saying, by doing, by obeying his commands, we are showing the priority of our builder, Jesus Christ. We are showing him the firm foundation. And we need to ask the Holy Spirit every morning, teach me, Spirit, through the word, how you want me to live in joyful obedience to my God. Show me how to live and long after Jesus. So I ask you the question, do you find obedience, find joy in obedience to Jesus Christ? That's not always an easy thing, is it? Do you find joy in obedience to Jesus Christ? He has called you to be salt in a decaying world, to be light in a dark world, to be law and goodness in an evil and chaotic world. And he's taught you how to do these things. We need to ask for help every morning to live like this. John Stott, again, says it this way. He calls this, the Sermon on the Mount, a Christian manifesto. He says, we need to consider that the Bible is a dangerous book to read and that the church is a dangerous society to join. For in reading the Bible, we hear the words of Christ. And in joining the church, we say we believe in Christ. Our responsibility is ensuring that what we know and what we say is translated into what we do. That what we know and what we say is translated into what we do. And we thank God that Jesus Christ shows us how to live this way. And that's the last point. Jesus is your shelter from the storm. Verse 25, And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And the first thing I want to point out to you about this verse, and the verse that was like it, about those building on the sand, is that the storms will come to everyone. Do you understand that? That Jesus didn't say here, follow me, obey me, and the storms won't come. You will be spared the difficulties of this life. Where are the churches and the people who preach the prosperity gospel getting it from? Where are they getting anywhere out of this that if you obey and follow Jesus, your life will be good, that you will have it easier, you will be richer, you will be healthier, you will be happier? Jesus is not saying that anywhere here. In fact, when you read the rest of what he says, or even the Old Testament, kind of says the opposite. They hated me, they will hate you too. You will suffer in this life. Or Psalm 73, just read that one. Sometimes it looks like the people who are actually built on the rock experience more suffering. Storms will come. Life is often sweet, but the storms come to every one of us. Many of you are going through storms right now. Some of you will go through storms this year. Health will always fail us. Financial struggles happen. Hard times with your children or your parents. For those of you both at the same time, that in-between generation. I marvel at the way some of you are weathering your storms. I marvel at the teenagers. Some of you guys, I just, 
I admire how you are learning, even at this young age, to anchor your lives on the foundation of Christ and his word. You can ask, what are the rains and the floods and the winds of your life? They happen. You don't have to ignore them. But though the storms will come, what does Jesus say? And these are the most comforting words possible. It did not fall. It did not fall. That though the winds and the rains and the storm comes, we will not fall. And isn't that gracious good news to us? But in the back of your mind, you have a question that's been nagging at you this sermon. You have a pressure in your gut that's been building up. Let me give you words to that pressure. You're asking, but how will I stand? How will I hold on? How will I both be a hearer and a doer of the word? Doer? I'm not even a good hearer of the word. I am angry. I am lustful. I am greedy. How can I find this comfort to know that I'm not building on the sand but on the rock? How can I know that I will stand? But Jesus answers that one as well. The house did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. That wasn't your doing. That was his. Jesus Christ is the anchor of your soul. And he is the one who put you and built you on him. You know, we've been talking about rocks. We sing another song, a wonderful song about rocks. The rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. A cleft rock is a shattered, is a rock that has had a hole chiseled out of it. If the rock had feelings, I would imagine that would be painful for the rock. Jesus Christ in his humanity did have feelings, and every second was the agony of hell for him as he allowed himself to be cleft so that we might find in him shelter from the storm. It was a storm that we deserved. We deserved the flood. We deserved to be swept away for our sins. But our Savior picked us up, placed us in him, and said, you will stand. I have hidden you in me. Amen? Because we are in Christ, we are not swept away. Everyone get excited about this. This is why we're doing this door hanger thing. All right? Because we want Oyster Bay and East Norwich to know, to know that this is a church sold out for Jesus Christ because he, we know what he has done for us. And we are built because of him on the rock. And we want others to find their footing on that rock as well. Paul said in that 1 Corinthians passage, we can build in other people on that rock. We can build them up on that rock. That's what we're doing. We're praying. Go if you're doing And please participate. Go and hang these things on people's doorknobs, but don't just hang it. Pray that they will accept the invitation and come. Hear the message preached on Good Friday. They will come and hear the message preached of the resurrection on Easter Sunday. Parents, 
Are you excited about this for your kids? You're not trying to teach them the form of coming to church. You're not trying to drill into them that, oh, they should be good Bible readers. I did all of that growing up in my life, and none of it was joy to me until I looked at and found the joy that is in Jesus Christ. Teach them that knowing and living his word is meant to be the foundation of their lives and show them how to do this in the joy in your life. You know, my father did teach me this, and he also actually taught me this cool uh, turn of events about foundations. When he came to America, they were building the World Trade Center, the Twin Towers, and he would walk past the dig site in Manhattan on the way to work. And he, he remembers that it was a foundation. It looked like it went on forever. It was so deep and so wide because of how high that they wanted to build. Now remember, I said that we were created to be builders. The, tower, the builders of the Tower of Babel, they had one thing right. They were trying to attain to God. That's in our image. We were supposed to attain to God, but they had no foundation to do it on. What possible foundation could we build upon to get to God? Only Jesus. Our sure, firm foundation who brings us to his Father in him. And this is what Hebrews 11, verse 8, is talking about when it talks about our father Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to a place that he was to receive as inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. See, the irony of that, he left a city to live in tents. Why? For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And by faith we look to Jesus Christ and what he has done for us on the cross to become our rock, our foundation. And it is inspiring the other way too, this judgment, this fall, the fall of the house on sand. It fell and great was the fall of it. Hurricane Sandy will have nothing on Christ's return and those who are found outside of Jesus. If you have family members and friends, loved ones who don't know Jesus, this should compel you to action out of love for them that they might be spared that storm and rescued as you are. You know, Michael taught us to sing, the soul that is trusting in Jesus as Lord will press on enduring the darkest of storm. And though even hell should endeavor to shake, he'll never, no, never, no, never forsake because of our firm foundation, our sure salvation. Jesus, because of him, we will not be shaken. I end quickly with these last words, commentary that Matthew gives on what Jesus has just said. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. But we should be astonished, not just because of his style of what he's saying, but that we know what they didn't. He was God coming to say how we should live in obedience to him, but how we will live because of what he has done for us. Jesus did not claim just to be a teacher, but God himself inviting us 
to build upon him and be abide in him forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you invited us to call you our Father. And Lord Jesus, you made the way by being our foundation that we, that we might build. And you are still, Holy Spirit, the one building us to be in the image of Jesus Christ so that even now we can enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Help us to find motivation every morning in seeing what Jesus has done out of love and joy, to obey out of love and joy, and to take this message to a lost world in need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please rise and let us sing of our cornerstone together.